Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. <clears throat> Good to see all of you. We're continuing our series uh, su- through a summer of wisdom. Uh, before we jump in and grab some wisdom for a particular area in our lives today, I just wanted to remind us, uh, as the worship team just did, that wisdom actually comes down from above, the scripture tells us. It comes from a source, um, the Father who loves you and who made you, who knows, knows how life works. And in fact, <clears throat> Wisdom is more than a concept because in the scripture, it's also, we're also told that wisdom is personified in the person of Jesus Christ. So wisdom is relational, um, and Jesus reveals the heart of God, the, the face of the Father, uh, what he is really like, what his intentions are for us. So when we grab wisdom, I, I, I want to remind you of the bigger story here uh, of God's love, um, and then we drop down into particular areas here. We're going to look at relational wisdom this morning, r- wisdom for conflict. Um, uh, but this is more than just principles to live your life better. It's, it's about the connection and interactive relationship that is available to us because of the love of God um, in the person of Jesus. And uh, if you have larger questions about that story in your life, we, we want to be talking to you about those things um, as well. Now, we're going we're to be looking... Uh, this morning at Wisdom for Conflict. And I want to direct you to this text. Again, this is ancient literature here, but without an ox, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Now, how many of you this morning uh, fed your ox, you know, before you came to church? So this is, this is old, old language here. Um, the idea here, however, is that um, life is comprised of more than just accumulating things. We, we actually live the, the most valuable things in our life, the things that are going to last, get down to the people, um, you know, in our lives. It's our, it's our relationships that are eternal. And, and, you know, where there's people, there is abundance, and there's also big messes, you know, all over the place, right? So uh, relationships would be easy if it weren't for the people. How many would you agree with that in your life, right? You might want to say that to one of your loved ones. Relationships would be easy if it weren't for you. You know, go ahead, go ahead. You know, uh, say good morning this, mor- this morning. Um, and so what I want to remind us, however, is that relationships are worth it. They're, they're not easy, but they're worth it. And so as we look at these texts here, um, we, we need to keep it in mind here that what, you know, what we're fighting for. It's actually the relationship. We'll come back to that um, as, we, as we move through this. Now, um, conflict, the mess, is part of relationships. Now, you might say it this way. Disagreements are part of relationships. And, and think with me for a moment, if you would have it otherwise. If, you were, if you're in a relationship and there is no disagreements, if there is no different points of view, you probably don't have a relationship. You have something kind of, kind of unhealthy. It's not, it's not healthy because disagreement is part of growth. Disagreement is part of variety. Disagreement is part of creativity. Disagreement is part of mutuality. So, so the problem isn't disagreement. Disagreement is part of relationships. Now, what we probably commonly think of the word conflict, however, has a bit of a negative connotation because when disagreements become personal, in, in one way or another, either to, to, to us or to another person or to both of us, it's painful, right? It's, there's pain introduced, there's, there's a destructive dy- dynamic that, that we're invited to in that. Um, and so when we think about conflict, we're, pro- we're probably talking about disagreements that move 
into making it personal becomes about more than just the thing we're disagreeing about, but about something else. Um, and so, just by way of introduction here, the goal in relationships as it relates to conflict is, is not no conflict. Um, it's healthy conflict. It's learning how to give and receive. It's learning how to be receptive versus just reactive in a relationship. It's learning how to resolve conflict. Now, it's interesting. Um, I'm a counselor. Uh, you know, folks will come in a lot of times seeking relationship counseling. And I'll often say, what are, you, what are you here for? Well, among other things, what they'll often tell me is, we just need to communicate better, right? We just need to communicate better. Now, there are some things about communication that can be learned. It is a skill. There is a way to do that better than, wor- than worse. But a lot of times what people are actually saying when they say we need to communicate better is that we've tried to communicate a lot of times and we're not resolving our conflict. In other words, they... They don't know how to identify a problem, you know, in a way that, they, that can be constructively set up to solve it. So we might say it like this. Healthy conflict is knowing how to fight. Now, how many of you have come to church and heard a sermon on how to fight? But actually, actually, it's a skill. It's a skill um, that, we, that we need to learn. There's a wisdom to it on how to fight in ways that help us to resolve conflict. Now, it's interesting. We're, going to a, we're, we're studying a book of wisdom the book of Proverbs, the Proverbs have, you know, many, 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 you know, principles inside them. Uh, this morning, we're going to focus on the principles that Proverbs contains to unlock the kind of the cause of conflict, like what's underneath of it, the cycles of conflict, like how it goes down in real life, and then some of the competencies that we can grab hold of to help us do it better, all right? Game for this? Ready to strap it on? All right, well, let's go. Causes of conflict, Okay, the, the Proverbs tell us this, Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, step back for a second. What I want you to realize before we get into the, the nitty-gritty of conflict is that all of you are, are um, centers that are being animated by hope. All of you enter your relationships not neutrally. You know, you talk about staying objective and all that. Well, you're not objective, because you come to every relationship with hopes. Hope is what animates your life. In fact, the scripture tells us that without hope, without vision, you know, we become listless. We become, life does not have purpose. So all of us are hope centers. Now, so it's important when we think about relationships to name the hopes that we bring to the relationship. And all of us have at least these three universal hopes. Because we were made from a God of love, who made us out of love and for love, all of us have deep needs for significance, for acceptance, for belonging, for security. Which, which, what that means is that, that to name those things, to name your hopes to have a satisfying life or to receive love in your relationships, that's a good thing. That's a part of what makes you human. That's, what, that's part of being made in God's image. Um, however, how we go about getting our significance needs met, our acceptance needs met, our security needs met, how we do that can cause problems. So, there are, there are, so it's not only that what we're after, but it's how we go about it, right? And all of us, this is important to name before we jump into this, 
have developed, usually from very early in our childhood, strategies. Strategies to get what we need from life and from people. If you grew up in a home that pretty reliably provided healthy security and significance um, and acceptance, the shape of your adaptive strategies are going to be different than if you didn't. Based on your wiring, your personality, your experiences, whether there was trauma that interrupted that. So you follow what I'm saying? This is, a, this is a system that's in all of us to seek universally love, and we've all developed a system of strategies that we would call normal. However, not all of those strategies actually are life-giving. Some of them are destructive. Okay? And it's okay, in fact, it's really needed when we're, when we're looking at the causes of conflict and trying to enter wisdom, to step back and go, oh, wait a second, I don't go into relationships neutrally. Like, I do have hopes that can get deferred and disappointed and my expectations get stepped on. And I am looking for things from others. Um, however, not all of my strategies for protecting myself from hurt, depending on our experiences, or going about receiving or getting love, um, you know, are, are necessarily healthy. So awareness of those things in alignment with wisdom uh, will help us, which is kind of why, well, it's why the Bible was written, to give us, to give us life-giving paths of how love actually, how it actually works. Now, uh, imagine for a moment, um, just to do one more step here on the heart work, we're getting to it, is if you knew to the very core of your being, not, so not just your mind, but your emotions and your body actually believed that you were perfectly, always, and forever loved, that all of your ultimate needs for significance and for security and for belonging we're going to be perfectly met and are being perfectly met by the God who sees you, loves you, has given himself for you, and will never stop. Like, if you believe that in your head and you knew it in your body, would that change the way that you related to the world around you? Or how would it change? In other words, in your relationships, if you knew that ultimately what was at stake in a relationship was not whether you were going to receive significance or belonging or, or acceptance, security, but that you already had that as an experience and a destiny, would it change the intensity or the way that you approached other people? So every, what I want to say here is no matter where you entered the room this morning, you might say, my relationships are a mess. Like I'm in conflict. I'm in, I'm, I'm in things that are not resolved. The strategies, when I think about it, like have not been very constructive. Like, like we have stuff all over the floor in our lives. I want you to recognize that part of the sermon is an invitation to you not only to do some things horizontally in your relationship, I'm going to try to help you with that from the, from the Proverbs, but also to remember, like, wow, this is an invitation to growth. This is an invitation to re-examine, you know, where ultimately I'm placing my big hope. Follow what I'm saying? And your connection to God and his love ultimately is the, is the only ultimate source to heal the insecurities that plague the human race. That ultimately, love actually is what heals you. 
And that love is available right now and always um, through the, the endless love of God. All right? Now, let's look secondly now at the cycles of conflict. The Proverbs tell us this. Proverbs 17, 14. Starting a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. Starting a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. How many of you have experienced at times in your life the reality of the wisdom of this ancient proverb? Yeah, because conflict tends to escalate. Um, when people are in conflict, because what underlies the conflict is their greatest hopes, when that's threatened, we feel threatened. In fact, if I were to hook you up to a, you know, like some medical devices that would be measuring your heart rate and your blood pressure during in a conflict with someone that matters to you, what would you guess would happen to those instruments? What would happen to your heart rate? Go up. What would happen to your blood pressure? How many of you have ever spent a sleepless night or had a bad evening because of the conflict that went south? Because you can feel that conflict where? In your body. Because, because uh, conflict taps not only the things that you believe about the world cognitively, it taps, it taps your sense of, like, safety, security, and significance. It taps your... Now, what do you remember from, you know, high school biology about when a person's in conflict? What happens to their thinking? Remember the fight, flight, freeze stuff when you're under threat? Do you think more clearly or less? Do your op are your options wide or narrow? Why? Because you're trying to survive, right? In other words, your body's telling you you're under threat. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. Is the best time to deal with the thing that matters most to you, your relationships, when you're under duress? Yeah. So, so conflict, conflict tends to escalate tit for tat. Things like criticism, mocking, sarcasm, defensiveness... You know, the silent treatment, stonewalling, all these strategies to protect ourselves in conflict tend to also do what to the conflict? They tend to escalate it, right? Which is why, which is why most of us have a big strategy for conflict, usually one of two. We either pursue or we withdraw. Now, pursuers are the people who become more outward under stress. They want to process things outwardly. They usually want to talk about it, and they want to talk about it now. Right? And if they're not getting their point across, they often want to talk about it louder. Now, pursuers want to save the relationship. They realize that there's a threat, there's an issue to the relationship that could threaten it, and so out of the abundance of their good intentions, um, they want to deal with it. Now, pursuers interpret any withdrawal from that process as selfish. All you care about yourself, when you're mad, you just leave, okay? Um, this is being played out in living rooms, I imagine, all over America right now. There's another, there's another group of us 
uh, we tend to withdraw under conflict. Withdrawlers prefer distance under stress. They don't want to talk about it, especially now. Um, and definitely not louder. Withdrawlers want to save the relationship by avoiding a messy fight. Now, the downside, because it seems so much more rational, but the downside is that many withdrawlers, once the emotion or the intensity is passed, assume what about the relationship? Everything's fine now, right? Let's, now we can get back to life. Um, and, and in extreme cases of withdrawing, what happens to withdraw, withdrawlers is that they freeze out their relationships. They manage conflict by distance. So sometimes I'll have couples come in and say, we don't fight. Well, I'm like, well, that could be a good thing or a really, really bad thing. Because if you've managed your conflict by distance, um, yeah, you don't fight because you're really disconnected. Now, you get a, you get a withdrawler and a withdrawler in a relationship, um, and they're going to fight. They're going to fight freezing to death. Like, I... You know, I heard a couple, I said, what's the pattern of your conflict? They said, well, we, things build kind of gradually. We can kind of feel it that it's coming. It's like a predictable cycle. Eventually, things kind of blow up, and then we don't talk to each other for a while. I said, well, how long is a while? They said, a month. I said, well, then what happens? Well, this one day, I don't know. We're just kind of better now. And then we just start the cycle over. Now, all of you pursuers are laughing, but, like, if you have two pursuers in a relationship, these are the couples that the neighbors call the cops, Right? Because, because boom, you know, they are, they're, you know, they're after each other. So here's the thing I want you to, to kind of notice here. Both, both pursuers and withdrawers, wherever you kind of identify yourself, some of you do combinations of both at different cycles, um, you, your intention is to save the relationship by either addressing or not melting the relationship. Um, unfortunately, we can often trigger each other in the process. So this is how the escalation, you know, happens. All right? Now, let's think, let's think for a minute about competencies that we can bring, um, you know, to, to this from the Proverbs. The Proverbs give us a few things. Proverbs 29.11 says this. Fools vent their anger, but the wise uh, quietly hold it back. Now, all the withdrawers say, Amen. Okay, um, so particularly you uh, folks who are who who tend to escalate immediately in conflict, uh, calming down first for, for all the reasons that I, we already we already mentioned uh, is a wisdom principle. It's right here. Okay, this is not wise uh, because you're going to burn the house down. All right, so it's not wise. There is, there is wisdom in calming down. The, when your parents told you to count to 10 first, like they were tapping into some good wisdom because your body needs time to get out of threat mode in order to engage the whole person okay, in the conflict. Secondly, this proverb, 15.1. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words uh, make tempers flare. Now, it's interesting the wisdom principle here is try softer. Try softer. So calm down first, try softer. When, when sociologists look at people in conflict and their interactions, here's one of the observations they make. It's, it's really not that brilliant, if you think about it. It's logical. Um, conflicts tend to end, a high percentage of them, the way they began. Think about that for a second. 
The first 90 seconds, the, the nature of your approach to a conflict, the timing, the tone, the spirit of it, is either going to invite one destiny or often invite, the, uh, invite another one, a very different one, a very destructive one. Um, because if you go in with guns blazing, the, ten- the tendency is to get a pretty strong reaction on the other side of defensiveness, either right back at you or you're going to scare the people out of the room, right? And, and then the escalation process, here you go again, you're on the crazy cycle. So the wisdom of the, of the Psalms here, again, ancient, I, apparently this has been going on for thousands of years. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking, wow, um, the world's been burning since it's been turning, whatever, you know, that song. So Proverbs 51, a gentle answer deflects anger. Thirdly, Proverbs, Proverbs 13.10. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Now, the, the wisdom principle here is consider receiving some influence in your relationships. Now, here, now here's what's interesting. Everybody wants significant security and belonging, right? They're coming to that. They have different strategies. In a way, you're on the same team, right, in that? When you insist that you not only get to the goal, but you get to it the way that you want to get there, so it's got to be, not only does it have to be the outcome of the relationship being close, but it's got to be the way that I want, on the timetable I want, and the way I see it. You know what the Bible calls that? Pride. It's just sort of, it's sort of like it's sort of like my way or the highway. My perspective is superior. The way I see this, my value system in this is clearly more evolved than whatever you wherever you came from. You know, that kind of an attitude actually alienates and escalates conflict. Again, from the literature, people that have close relationships. Have the, have the wisdom to remember that sometimes you can win battles and lose words. That the point of the, of, the, of the argument at any point is never the thing you're arguing about. It's the relationship itself. And taking, taking input, doing it a different way, doing it just for the sake of the fact that it matters to the other sometimes, the give and take in that. Like, people who do that well... Uh, you know, have, be- have better relationships. They do conflict more reliably and better. Does that follow? So if you're the kind of person who prides yourself in always being right uh, about things or that you believe that you know better, that may work very well in certain aspects of your life, but it will not work well over time in your interpersonal relationships, okay? Now, next principle. Proverbs ten twelve. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. If I were to have you to remember one thing um, from this talk this morning, it would be this slide. Um, that in your conflict, we need to remember the point of the argument. Wisdom means keeping the relationship bigger than the problem. Now, this is, this is easier said than done, because I'm... I'm in the middle of, of course, just like everybody else, uh, 
things that are, that are not going the way that I want, and conflict in my close relationships. And in every one of those places, I can feel the invitation to double down on some things with intensity that would pull my attention away from what I'm fighting for right now, which, which is the set, of, the set of issues are going to change from week to week, right? Season to season. But what's ultimately at stake in every conflict is not winning the, the point. It's the relationship. I mean, someone told me this morning, like, the first service, he said, we should tattoo this on our, like, foreheads or something, you know, or put it up on our, uh, our desk. Um, this is the way this gentleman said it. I thought it was better than the way I had said it. When you, when you need to be right, when your need to be right exceeds your need to love, your right has become wrong. That was from somebody that came to the first service. They were like, oh, let me give you a little wisdom. When, you're, when your need to be right exceeds your need to love, your right becomes wrong. Okay? So remember the point of, in any argument. is, You know, we can look back over our lives and say, you know, I won some arguments and I lost some. But wouldn't it be a tragedy to say that I won the argument and lost the war when it comes to our, our closest relationships? And so, and so some of us need to step back. The wisdom of the proverb would invite us to step back this morning from some of the things that we've become entrenched in, points of view, whatever it is, deep hurts, and just go, wow, you know, there's something bigger even than that. You know, it's the, it's the relationship. Proverbs 18, 19, just in closing here. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. So in other words, when, when disagreements become personal, they, they turn into conflict, they become destructive, uh, they put up walls. And then over time, when the, when, the, when the walls are high enough and the hurt's deep enough, the doors get locked. Um, and isn't that a good description of our world today? Just a lot of walls with a lot of lock gates, people shouting at each other from across the divides. Um, because disagreements uh, turn into conflicts that were handled destructively. Um, and you might say to yourself this morning, I don't, again, I don't know what you're walking in the door with, but you might say this to yourself this morning, like, wow, I mean, that's a pretty good description of my marriage. Or that's a pretty good description of, of a relationship that I have right now with my parents. Um, or a coworker, or a neighbor, or on and on. And the walls are so high and the locks are so secure that I have no idea really uh, if they ever can come down and the doors can ever come open. And I get it. I mean, there's some people in here where your, where your conflict patterns and, and story um, is, is so multi-textured, so complex, I don't want to reduce this down just to a simple like, step or something. I mean, in those cases, obviously there's other wisdoms like to come, bring things into the light, to get counselors and other people, prayer and other things um, involved. But, but there are some things that we've been studying all the summer and you know, in the larger story of the gospel that are actually keys to unlock locked gates. 
mean, they really are. Um, in, in fact, you could actually say that the gospel of Jesus Christ was God's modeling of how to unlock impregnable walls that separated humanity from him. And you, if you remember, he went first. So, so what disarmed the gates ultimately was the depths of love. Um, we love God, the scripture tells us, because he first loved us. Like what, how would the story play out if, if the story was the other way, that we had to get our act together or whatever before God would move towards us? It's the exact opposite of the entire story of the gospel. And so in his steps, for the people who follow Jesus in this, we have a capacity because what has happened to us? We've been loved. Like if we would actually grasp that more than here and all the way down, what that means is in every place that you feel is a disaster in your life that absolutely threatens your well-being and seems hopeless, Actually, ultimately, your well-being, your ultimate well-being is not at stake in that thing. Now, I get that it hurts like crazy and that it's very, very important to you and to God. However, there is a capacity in knowing the love of God to free your heart, to give you more room as you approach these locked gates. And even small steps of saying, like, I'm sorry, like, listen, in this moment or in this relationship, become, being right, getting my point of view, getting what I want, getting my needs met, have become more important to me, clearly, than you. And I'm sorry. Some doors, some locks sometimes come open. When we step towards a person uh, who feels like a threat, now I'm not saying without boundaries or wisdom, but I'm saying when we, when we take steps to say in one way or another, I love you. I love you. Even now. Yeah, locks come open. Can we, can we have a do-over? You know, can we try this again? And so my, my uh, admission to you this morning is just a couple points of application. Um, do you, do you, are you aware of your, of your needs that you're bringing to relationships and your adaptive strategies? Are you, are you simply blaming the other person for the conflict pattern in your life without having taken ownership or awareness of the fact that the cycle, it takes two to dance, like you're you're on the cycle, that you have patterns, you know what they are. Are there some conflict competencies this morning that we've talked about that you want to try out this week? I mean, again, these things don't get learned in a sermon. They get, they get learned as we, as we put them into practice and try them out. Uh, and then maybe most importantly, are there relationships in your life this morning that need repair? Got some, got some high walls and some locked doors? Um, maybe there would be an invitation from wisdom and the Lord to you this morning to, to try out some keys that come from love um, and are available to you. Okay? Let's, let's pray and we'll, we'll be finished.
Lord, thank you for, thank you for wisdom uh, that comes down from above and it's pure and peaceable and it has the fruit of every good work. Um, thank you that you put that into, con- not into concepts, but you put it into action. You Thank you for the relentless love of the Father. Um, thank you that he never stops, never will. Thank you that that frees us to have capacity now for our relationships, and I pray that my friends would find strength today, encouragement, um, and wisdom for the walls and the locked doors and the crazy cycle um, of their lives. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, you're dismissed. Um, again, I, as, as always, know that the church here wants to be a resource. Um, if there's conversations or things that you want to have, uh, we have both men and women um, available to you uh, to have those conversations. And uh, go and be blessed.